to our sermon today, but I'm going to start with asking a question. How many of you, most of us, I think we all went to school, CEO, okay? But at the end of the year, you got that end of year report card or report form, and there was a comment you could do better. Any one of you? Any of you? Any one of you who had those things, you can do better? Okay. The rest of you are index one? It's okay. All right. Or are there, needs to improve on their handwriting? Okay. Needs to improve. Those who have improved on the handwriting, we are doctors now. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I didn't become a doctor. My handwriting. My, 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 my son's six years old, says, Baba, you have a machengless handwriting. He even knows. <laughs> How many of you, when you did not do well in a subject or did something wrong, <coughs> excuse me, had, had your parents or had your parents compared you, you to another sibling who was doing better? Okay? All right? You should be like so-and-so. How many of us, how many of you could have done better? Me, I got those ones, okay? Why can't you be like so-and-so? Uh, I would hear it from my mom a lot. And as I grew older, I had an answer to that question. Uh, but it infuriated my mom. And uh, my rear end got the better part of those responses. In all fairness to our parents, to our teachers, they wanted the best of us and demanded it of us in the only way they knew how. I'll see you. And the same may be said for our teachers. They all wanted us to be A students, uh, but they knew not all of us would achieve that. Um, I one time remember <laughs> I was officiating a wedding and one of my former class teachers were there, okay? And uh, <laughs> And after the, after it was, she was a, a, an auntie to, this was her nephew that was getting married. It was, at that time, we were at Nairobi Chapel on Gong Road at that time. And uh, she had come for this wedding. It was a guarding wedding and she did all that. And after this, I noticed her. And after the wedding, um, I, I stopped to say hi to her. And she looked at me and said, you are a pastor now. You made it. <laughs> I don't know what she was, she meant by that. But I said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord about that. But in all that they hope, our teachers, our parents hope that we aspire to something better, something greater, that we put effort to it. I'll see you. See you. Several years ago, when I started serving as a youth pastor at the Nairobi Chapel, I'm not sure if it was my second or third evaluation, um, but this is what my boss told me. <laughs> my boss told me, Goi, you are a Mercedes-Benz operating like a tuk-tuk. So I remember telling my brother about this, and he cracked up. He laughed. Uh, I mean, he laughed. Those, those, those laughs that you know, they are like almost evil laughs, you know? And uh, <laughs> he went ahead and just started... Uh, you know, comparing what the difference between a tuk-tuk and a Mercedes-Benz. He went even to the mechanics, the engineering. This is a one-stroke engine and this thing. And he made so much fun of me, you know. <laughs> ah, my, 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 my boss said it was better, my, my brother told me rather, it's better being told that I was a tuk-tuk operating like a Mercedes-Benz heading from Nairobi to Nakuru. 
Um, uh, and then he started rubbing it on. Rubbing it in. It was interesting. A six-stroke, eight-stroke engine. But you're operating like a tuk-tuk. I, I don't know if you guys have had a tuk-tuk going or seen a tuk-tuk going up Valley Road. How many of you seen? lot of noise, no movement. I'm not sure about you, but for me, <coughs> I've responded defensively when I've heard some criticism on my work performance. But as I've grown and as I've matured, I'm learning to embrace or even welcome hard-biting criticism. And I've taken it sometimes head-on bring it on as a, as a chance to self-evaluate. Sometimes I've even, um, how, do I, how, do I, how do I put it? I have um, preempted it. I was looking for that word. I've preempted it uh, so that I can get that criticism. Because I'm learning in many ways that I'm far from perfection and I need to improve. I've also learned to sift through what is healthy constructive criticism and what is makaratas. <laughs> Alright? Uh, makaratas, matope, ngelia ma. You know? Uh, and, and, and taken this as a gift and used it to become a better person. So as I've been preparing and reflecting on this sermon, it has, it has been the same for me. <clears throat> And it's also been an evaluation session for my life. I hear the words from scripture. God saying this to me in John 15 verse 17. Goi, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Good fruit and much fruit. Fruit that will last. So be fruitful, Goi. Our text from last week and also continuing with this week comes from the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and 28. It is more a standard. So this is not going to be an exploratory exposition about Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 to 28. <coughs> Mine is just to point to you a standard. This is what the writer of Genesis puts. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so, we'll pick it up from here, so where we stopped. Last week, we talked about God not only works, but he takes great delight and pleasure in his own work. God made us and blessed us for work. God has made us for more. You are made for more. Introverts in the house, I'm about to ask you to turn to your neighbor. So this is just uh, so breathe in, breathe out. Okay? We are called to be fruitful, to multiply. You are made for more. Now you can turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you are made for more. Introverts, please do it. Do it with okay. okay? You are made for more. <coughs> Hallelujah. 
After the fall of Adam and Eve, the command to be fruitful and to multiply still, still applies today. But I want to suggest to you, because of our sinful nature, it is becoming even more difficult. Last time we saw how our very own sinful nature works against us being fruitful at work. And thank you. Some of you even sent me texts or even called me and asked me very interesting questions that I'm pondering on and hopefully within the next uh, couple of days or weeks I'll be able to, um, to make that known to you, at least my, my response to it. We talked about hindrances for fruitfulness. The first one we talked about was selfishness and pride. Working for yourself and for your own interests stops you from being fruitful. I want to repeat, working for yourself and your own interests stops you from being fruitful. So those of you who are stepping on the toes of your colleagues to get ahead, you're not being fruitful. It's going to come back one day and bite you in the rear end. You won't like it. Idolatry was the other one. Work was never intended to be worshipped. It was never intended to be our identity. Work was created for worship to God. But our sin has made work our identity. We are known as architect so-and-so, engineer so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, doctor so-and-so. To the point that we do not know what people's names are. We are even called by our what we do. Wakili. Lawyers in the house. Poleni sana. We lose our identity and our work becomes our identity. In fact, people refer to our characteristics, our mannerisms with regards to what we do and how we work. If you want to teach, just ask the people who you live with. What do they think about you? Your work will come up as one of the things there. Laziness and procrastination. That is the enemy of progress. <clears throat> that is another hindrance to being fruitful. Discontentment and complaining. This is another hindrance. We are missing out on the blessings of the now. We refer to what used to be or what could be. But we are not recognizing the present, the now. That God has placed us in the context that we are, in the situation we are, to experience him for what it is. And lastly, we are reaping where we have not sowed. And we talked about gambling, tenderpreneuring, nakadhalika. For those of you who are not here last week, uh, or did not interact with us in this sermon series, please go back to our YouTube channel, and you can catch up on where we left. And since we have been uh, talking about the hindrances of last time, let's talk about what being fruitful looks like. Today I'm not going to take too long. Then we're out. So you know, we talked about five hindrances. Now what does fruitfulness look like? How do we do it? Number one, just a continuation from last week. Number one, <coughs> excuse me, fruitfulness begins in our heart by the work of the Spirit. Paul viewed 
the saving grace of God in the gospel as a work of the Spirit in us. He says, being confident of this, he told the church of Philippi that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. So we are called to live by the Spirit. The Spirit is active within us. I have said it before on this pulpit and will say it again. It is not rocket science, guys. It is not how many times you come to church lead prayers, or, or go for Bible study. It's, it's, not, it's not about that. It's not how many times you do this. It's not, but what are you becoming? To no one is a disciple of Jesus Christ, apart from the confession of faith and belief that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and repenting of their sin. We will definitely see the results, which is the fruit of of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such there is no law and allow me to to add allow me to add the spirit of god is grace working through our imperfections and sinfulness and teaching us, as Titus tells us, as Paul tells Titus in Titus 12, 2 verse 12, he says, it teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live life self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Are you tracking with me, guys? Fruitfulness begins in our heart by the work of the Spirit. Number two, our fruitfulness is a, is a direct product of what controls our heart. I want to repeat, our fruitfulness is a direct product of what controls our hearts. Whatever feeds your heart and mind is the product of what comes out. I encourage you to consider to feed your heart and mind with things of the Spirit. It is said, if you really want to know someone, get to know what he or she is thinking. Jesus understood this very well and was aware of the heart of humankind as being deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah says that in seven, chapter 17 verse 9. Uh, Jesus went on to say, Our, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, uh, false testimony, slander. Jesus said this, when he was talking to his audience in Matthew 15, 19. None of us are strangers to this fact. In fact, we see it at play, at work, every day. <clears throat> and sadly, you and I are complicit to it. May God have mercy on us. Forgive us, Lord. Because we are constantly feeding our hearts and minds with things that are not of God. And so, to be fruitful at work, then we need to be counterintuitive and feed our hearts and minds with things of God. 
And Paul exhorts his readers in his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4 and verse 8, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Guys, I kid you not, the product of your work comes from what you've been feeding your mind and heart with. Number three, fruitfulness is about redeeming creation from the curse of sin back to God's plans and will. And this is done by the work of the power of the spirit that is in us. In the beginning, God placed Adam and Eve to work and take care of creation. And after the fall, all of creation worked against each other. And we've been seeing that to the point that now you see people doing crazy things, trying to save the earth. It is a consequence of our sin. We now extract everything from our environment and our context at the expense of future generations. From then on, God's agenda was to claim back all of creation and all of mankind back to himself. Jesus' death and resurrection is God pressing the reset button and putting things back into play for his redemption work. Paul seemingly got this. And this is what you need to be looking like at your workplace. Paul says this to the Romans, Roman church, the church in Rome rather, in chapter 8 verse 19. Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You guys know I'm a sports fan, eh? So, you know there are some times when there's those people in, in the sports games called a super substitute. Okay? And they usually come, this is in football, they usually come in around 55, 60 minutes. And when they come in and substitute another player, the game changes because they're there. Alright? And for 30 minutes, these people run around that field, do whatever it is, but the game just goes up. Now, those of you who follow football, you know who those super substitutes are in Premier League, in La Liga. You, you know who they are. They just change the nature of the game. I want to suggest to you, this is what creation is waiting for. You, the super substitute, who believes in Jesus Christ, who has the spirit in you. Creation is waiting for you. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the, by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So we need to see ourselves at work as partners with Christ, redeeming creation back to God. Because... God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works was us. We are God's workmanship, which was prepared in advance for us to do. 
Remember, we talked about this when we did the sermon series on Ephesians. We are God's workmanship. So placed in whatever context we are, we are to raise the standard. Redeem things back to God. I'm not saying you're there to make more money. If that happens, hallelujah. But we are here to bring the shalom, the peace, the existence of God in whatever context, to bring and breathe life. Number four. I said we have five. Number four. Fruitfulness is our testimony. It's our, it's our, our CV. Fruitfulness is our CV. And how is our CV known? It's the quality or the substance of our work. I mentioned this earlier when we started this sermon series, and I'm going to see it again about my experience with South Korea. But in the early 70s, uh, my father was one of the many instructors that trained civil servants from all over the country, all over Kenya, at the Kenya Institute of Administration. Now it's the Kenya School of Government in Lower Kabete. He would tell us that some of his, in his, some of his classes, there were people from different African countries and from places as far as, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and South Korea. Back then, Kenya had a larger economy than South Korea, and our country offered to train some of their civil servants. Because Korea had come out from a, a time of destructive war. And Kenya used this as a, you know, as a way of giving back for development. And, and many of these people, especially in South Korea, they used this as a benchmark for their development. <clears throat> My father was teaching courses in urban planning, governance, and leadership. And several decades later, I had the opportunity of visiting South Korea a number of years back. And I met with different leaders. Leaders in media, church, government, business. And we saw a great deal of how some of those courses at the Kenya School of Government in the 70s and other learnings that they had from other places, they were put into practice and resulted in Korea becoming now the 10th largest economy in the world. Hmm. They learned from us. I, I, don't, I don't need to go there. We are talking about fruitfulness of the heart, not of the country. But I'm going somewhere. I had the privilege of hearing stories of the evolution of the company Samsung and Sangyong and how they became multinationals in less than one generation. In one of the breakout sessions that I had, I spoke with a senior business executive and asked him, this question, and I try doing this when I, I meet with other leaders, you know. What do you look for when you're employing people? And he responded by saying, he looks for leadership potential, character, and competence. And out of the blue, guys, I kid you not, he says, I have a bias of hiring Christians. Hmm? I didn't ask him. Maybe he was just pandering because he knew we were in a church delegation, we were visiting South Korea, but I said, what? Well, that surprised me. And I asked him, 
what religion are you? And he says, um, he was born a Buddhist. He was not an adherent for Buddh of Buddhism. But if you asked him, he followed Buddha. But upon inquiring more, he said ever since he was in school, he admired Christians who seemed to have a better work ethic. It's like they worked harder and were more faithful and they delivered on most of the expectations. He said they were the most honest at work and the people he met were very humble. So this man was possibly in his mid-50s. And I was in Korea for about, for about a month. So, and I met this guy at the beginning of my time there. So I was like, ah, he's just talking. Let me test these assumptions. I was going to meet many other leaders around. And so I went on and asked them these leading questions because I wanted to hear, randomly asking other leaders that I met of the month, what they thought about Christians in the workplace. Guys, this wasn't scientific, but the general sentiment was that Christians really influenced the standard. This is a nation where the Christians make about 25% of the population. I'll just leave it there for you guys to think and let it marinate. Jesus said this on the Sermon of the Mount. You will know them by their fruit. Do people gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit... You will know them. Fruitfulness is a testimony. The quality of your work. Number five. And I close. Fruitfulness is serving God and serving humanity. Fruitfulness is about being a blessing to others. Allow me to be very straightforward to you guys on this point. It's not about you. Whatever position you hold today, it's not about you. In fact, I'd encourage you to drop your titles. <laughs> because it's not about you. It was never about you. Whatever shouts, accolades, and all those things that you have acquired was not for you. God made them possible for your fruitfulness. Fruitfulness at the workplace begins with serving others. You are blessed with the gifts, the abilities that you possess for others and not yourselves. Peter, in his closing sentiments or words to the letter to a, a church facing persecution in Asia Minor, in 1 Peter 2.10, says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. It's plain and simple here, guys. It's plain and simple. The only thing about you, the only thing that should be 
of regard to you is that God is more interested in your heart, not your work and achievements. Those things come. God is interested in your holiness, your obedience, your unequivocal, devout faith and allegiance to him and to do his will. It's not about you. It's about serving others and pleasing God. So let's make sense of these things with five observations. And I'll quickly say this. God loves and cares about you. He cares about your work and your degree of success or failure. God is a part of this. And it's part of his good plan for you and for the world around you. I think God cares about the product or the products we produce, or the services we give. He has called each one of us, guys. He has called each one of us in our places of work or business to serve him and to serve humanity. And our work is part of his plan to bring healing to a world that he loves, but desperately a world that does not know this love. Our work outside of God is around the circle journey of meaningless toil. And only God, guys, can bring meaning to our work and make us fruitful. <coughs> so, guys, we're supposed to treat all people that we work with, all people that work for us with dignity, with respect, and to create an environment in which humanity can do well, where humanity can flourish and use their God-given gifts to contribute to a better society. So guys, we must always view work as an opportunity and a platform to point people to Christ. So, if you are to be evaluated by God at work, like I was being called an underperformer, a Mercedes operating like a tuk-tuk. <laughs> I think you guys should take it personally. I think this should piss you off. This should agitate you. This should unsettle you. And I suggest to you, a believer of Jesus the Christ, that you are no different than me in that boardroom being evaluated. Against the plumb line of scripture, if you were to use that against your life, I put it to you that you are a Mercedes because the spirit of God operates in you. But you are behaving and operating like a tuk-tuk. Take the responsibility and work at changing that. I pray that you would. And as you do this, recognize you are made for more. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them you are made for more. Say it with conviction. God's spirit lives in you, guys. And you are chosen and appointed to bear good fruit. Much fruit. Fruit that will last. Because you're God's workmanship. Father God, speak. For your servants are listening. Bless us, I pray with a greater understanding of the situations and circumstances we face with our work, our workspaces. 
call out the fruitfulness made available through your spirit in everyone represented here at NCLA. That indeed they will be the salt and the light in their different workspaces. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the end of our service for today. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. I'm going to give you maybe another one minute just to think and reflect. Uh, Barry and uh, Pastor Steve, if you have, just give some music at the back um, just for people to reflect. And when you are ready, um, you can leave at your own pleasure. I'm going to ask that you take maybe one or two minutes just to reflect. And Barry, if you can leave this thing up there. Oh, yeah, you have. Uh, just up there for people just to look, reflect. This is a work week coming. Who are you going to be at work this week? Father, I pray your blessings over your people as they go out to work. For those who are unemployed, I pray that they would not be discouraged. I pray that, Lord God, you would come through for them. That they would find gainful employment. But they would recognize too that work is not their identity, but is an opportunity to worship you. Using our gifts, ta ta talents, our time, our networks, our net worth for your glory. Bless your people, I pray. Amen.